This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. With Lent just around the corner, I have the perfect reflection for you, and it comes from Carlo Maria Vigano, Archbishop. It was initially released in Italian on the Italian journalist website of Stelium Curie, run by Marco Tussati, who seems to have the inside line to, mark, to Archbishop Vigano letters that almost never see the light of day in the English-speaking world. This was released on the Feast of Candlemas, and it's about the purification of Our Lady. But it also has some rather serious digs at the hierarchy, specifically because, well, he compares them to the Pharisees of the Old Temple. And that's a pretty heavy-duty accusation, given what ended up being the fate of the Pharisees. But there's also a lot here to understand as to really wrap our minds around as we head to Lent, because Lent is just a, really just a few days away. We are now in the sort of micro-season of Septuagesima, or, well, now Sexagesima, I think is how you pronounce where we are now, but the, the time between Candlemas and Lent is where we are gearing ourselves up for Lent to really prepare ourselves to do more than give up something light and silly that's not really an inconvenience and make the most out of Lent. So We'll give you some more thoughts at the end. But for now, here's the Archbishop. Lumen ad Revelationem, homily by Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano on the Feast of the Purification of the Most Holy Mary. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before all peoples. With these words, old Simeon praises the Lord for granting him the privilege of being able to witness the fulfillment of the prophecies being able to hold in his arms the infant Messiah, led to the temple to be offered to the Lord according to the prescriptions of the ancient law. That short but profound canticle is repeated every day at Compline, so that the prayer the church recites at the end of the day prepares us for the end of our earthly exile with our eyes turned to our Lord. Today's feast was dedicated, until the reform of 1962, to the purification of the Blessed Virgin, and was therefore a Marian feast of a penitential nature, evidenced by the purplish color of the vestments, just as the nature of the rite of purification to which all the ancient Hebrew mothers had to undergo 40 days after childbirth was pe penitential. See Leviticus chapter 12, verse 2. The Holy Church also preserves in the Rituale Romanum the special blessing for women who have, been, who have given birth, now fallen into disuse by which it should be pious practice to restore in its spiritual significance. As with the rite of our Lord's baptism in the Jordan, so also the rite of purification had strictly no meaning or usefulness for Mary most holy, she being most pure and without blemish by virtue of the Immaculate Conception. By her submission to the law then in force, Our Lady gives us an example of obedience to religious precepts, lest we forget that we are children of wrath and deserve grace only because of the infinite merits the Savior acquired for us by his passion and death on the cross. Ron Colley's reform, which was worked on by many of the same experts who laid hands on the reform of Holy Week under Pius XII, and then on the entire Corpus Liturgicum with the Montinian Rite, changed the name of the feast from the purification of the Blessed Virgin to the presentation of our Lord in the temple. The motivation was to set the celebration in a Christocentric key, which in itself was permissible and was therefore welcomed by the parish priests. In reality, the purpose of the authors of the 1962 reform was to open the conciliar Overton window, which was disclosed with the establishment of the Order of Holy Week. 
The unmentionable purpose, and for this reason to be kept strictly concealed so as not to compromise future developments, was to weaken the following of the Virgin and the Saints in a pro-Protestant function. We understand then how under the guise of a harmless and doctrinally acceptable change, they wanted not so much to emphasize the centrality of our Lord in the liturgical cycle as to use it as a pretext to oust the Mother of God, who was considered an obstacle to ecumenical dialogue. Thus, by small steps, the innovators managed to make people forget the doctrine of the meditation and correspondence of Mary Most Holy without explicitly denying it. Catholics know well that to render hyperdulia worship to the Virgin takes nothing away from the Latria worship due to the Divine Majesty, but rather propitiates the Son through his most august mother, in whom he performed wonders, because he who is mighty has done great things for me. Instead, the heretics show their horror at the mere mention of Our Lady, because her humility and obedience constitute an intolerable affront to the pride and disobedience of Satan, their father. And if in his infinite wisdom the Lord has willed that it should be the Immaculate Virgin to crush the head of the ancient serpent, for what reason should we demand, as Protestants do, to deal directly with him, despising the powerful mediatrix whom the foot of the cross he gave us as mother and advocate? Would we not offend the Lord by treating with little regard and distrust the glory of Jerusalem, the joy of Israel, the honor of our people? Let us set aside these observations and ponder the mysteries of this feast in which true religion triumphs over superstition by supplanting the pre-existing pagan festivals with the rite of the blessing of candles. St. Gelasius, Pope, wanted to institute this feast because at the end of the 5th century there were still people in Rome devoted to idol worship, carrying torches around the city. Christ lux mundi thus reappropriates the symbol of light that the pagans had usurped from him. In this sense, it is significant to recall St. Anselm's mystical interpretation. The wax, he says, the work of bees, is the flesh of Christ. The wick which lies within is its soul, and the flame which shines at the top is its divinity. Flesh, soul, divinity. The union of these elements enabled our Lord to redeem us as head of the human race, atoning for the infinite guilt of Adam through the infinite value of his sacrifice, the sacrifice of the man-god precisely offered to the majesty of the Father in reparation for original sin, and all the sins committed by all men until the end of time. Because mine eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, says Simeon, salvation is an event extended to all, and unlike the people who were the chosen, the Christian people are not distinguished by race, but by adoption. For by baptism we are constituted children of God, his heirs and co-heirs with Christ, as St. Paul says. See Romans chapter 8, verse 14 to 19. And as the psalmist sings, the Lord is part of my inheritance and my cup. See Psalm 15, verse 5. Therefore, salvation has been prepared before all peoples. Therefore, all peoples are called to know, worship, and serve the true God. Praise the Lord, all nations. See Psalm 116, verse 1. And all the kings of the earth will worship him. All nations shall serve him. See Psalm 71, verse 11. A light for the revelation of the nations and the glory of your people Israel. The revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of God's people, which is the Holy Church, are intimately linked. Without preaching, there is no revelation. And without revelation, there is no glory for the heavenly Jerusalem, for the new Israel. But if the unfaithfulness of the temple in recognizing the light of Christ caused its downfall and the dispersion of its children, how much greater can be the dishonor for those who live under the new and eternal covenant, are born again in Christ and resurrected with him, but do not preach the salvation that God has accomplished with the passion of his divine Son. When our Lord met the scribes in the temple, explaining to them the meaning of the scriptures and especially showing them how the prophecies were fulfilled in him, the temple was still faithful to the covenant with God. 
But when he was denounced by the Sanhedrin to Pontius Pilate on the charge of blasphemy, having proclaimed himself God, so that he could be put to death, the high priest had denied the faith, blinded by the fear of losing the prestige with the coming of the Messiah, whom our so-called elder brothers regarded as not only a spiritual savior, but also and especially a temporal and political one. Their apostasy led them to silence those truths contained in the Old Testament, which defeated their attempt to adapt religion to the convenience of time and circumstances, and which so many stern admonitions had merited from the last prophets of Israel. The people, kept in ignorance by the religious authority of the time, were certainly bewildered and scandalized, since their simple faith taught them that the time had now come for the birth of the Messiah in the city of Bethlehem. Because of this, an entire priestly caste, the tribe of Levi, was dispersed with the destruction of the temple by the emperor Titus. Even today, the children of the temple are scattered throughout the world without a place of worship and without being able to reconstruct the genealogy of the Levites to celebrate sacrifices. Tremendous fate of a people because of the betrayal of its priests. Yet in the face of the evidence of the severity with which the Lord judges his ministers, especially when they fail in their sacred duties and deceive the faithful, the new covenant clerics seem to regard lightly their own failings, their own infidelities, their own silences before those who proclaim error and deny or keep silent the truth. In them we find the same hubris, the same foolish presumption to defy heaven, which is punished irremissibly with nemesis, the fatal punisher of the abuser of authority and pride. But the tyrants of this world invested with civil and ecclesiastical offices and those who pay slavish obedience to them for fear of reappearing against the grain or being singled out as rigid, fundamentalist, not inclusive and divisive. Remember this well. Let those who by fraudulently serving authority for the opposite purpose to the one that legitimizes it think they can lord it over their subjects. Nothing will remain unavenged. Let us therefore approach the holy sacrifice with the holy fear of God, cleansing ourselves of our sins by frequent recourse to confession and reciting with contrition the act of sorrow as soon as we commit any fault. May our spiritual disposition to amend ourselves and to make ourselves less unworthy of the divine mysteries help us to receive the blessed sacrament in Eucharistic communion with recollection and fervor. May the light of Christ illumine our minds in these moments of trial and inflame our hearts with the love of charity so that we in turn may be light to enlighten the nations. May our lives be a daily witness of true children of God, so that we may exclaim with the psalmist, the Lord is my portion of inheritance in my cup. Amen. Signed, Carlo Maria Vigano, Archbishop, February 2nd, 2023. And you may wonder again, why a week after this was released? Well, that's pretty straightforward, actually. This is a wonderful reflection as we head to Lent. Candle Mass is a feast that really should set our minds to Lent towards our own purification. Lent is a wonderful time for us to really assess our sins, our sinfulness, to those things that we wrestle with, to really refocus through prayer, penance, fasting, and frequent use of the sacraments to get a handle on these things. And the only way that's possible, which is to lay them at our Lord's feet and ask him to help us and to ask for the grace that we may cooperate with him. Now, that having been said, do you see here the lesson, though, for the, in the crisis of the church? Vigano was comparing the modernists, the high-profile priests in the hierarchy in Rome, to the temple Pharisees. Think about that for a second. What is he saying? He's saying quite a lot. There's heavy implication there, especially with what ended up happening to the temple. Curious what you thought of this, though, so let me know in the comments, please. 
like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help, as does sharing this on social media. That helps, too. If you want to read this for yourself, I have an English translation of it on my website at returntotradition.org. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.